People say they want to get married, but yet there's a so-called shiduch crisis in the Jewish world. Many people are growing older and not getting married, but yet there's more and more people wanting to get married. But she has to be beautiful. He has to be rich, or at the very least, successful according to the standards of living that I want to live. These are some of the things you hear from young people, and sometimes not so young, as they age out of marriage and literally live a life of loneliness. Why? Why is it that people continue to make the same wrong choices? Why is it that the most beautiful and famous people in the world are 67% more likely to get divorced during the first few years of marriage? Why is it that people don't listen to the sages? Why is it that they don't even know what the sages said? Tonight, you're going to learn Jewish intimacy from a different perspective. Not just the intimate aspect of it that we've discussed, and we'll continue to discuss, but also how to pick a wife, how to pick a husband, how important is beauty, how important is money, what you should consider, and what you should run away from, and what kind of results you're going to get as a result of those choices. Enjoy it, share it, and be holy. We're back here on our Tuesday night Jewish intimacy series to give us a better idea of what intimacy is in comparison to what uh, the world thinks is intimacy. Uh, and, uh, and according to our Torah, tonight's show is going to be for the Refua uh, Shlema and Atzlacha Rabba for Rav Ephraim ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sara bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana bat Sara, Avi Mori David ben Esriya, Imi Morati Doris bat Jora, Sara bat Esther, and all of Am Israel and all the righteous Noahais that continue to watch our shurim, learn with us, contribute, Baruch Hashem, and donate to our organization whenever is possible. Anyone that wants to donate can go to our website, Be'ezrat Hashem.org, uh, B-E-E-Z-R-A-T-H-A-S-H-E-M.org or B-H-Torah.org. And also, if the uh, sensitive ears of the uh, TikTok uh, community are uh, too much, uh, you know, it's too much for them to hear some of the things we're going to say tonight and they kick me off as they usually do every couple of weeks, anyone that wants to watch the live lecture tonight can just simply go to our website, bh.live, bh.live, b is in Be'ezrat, h is in Hashem, dot L-I-V-E. You can watch the lecture there live and not have to worry about anyone throwing us off. Same thing for anyone on Facebook and all the other platforms, Baruch Hashem. So with that being said, we have a interesting lecture ahead of us. Baruch Hashem, this series has been, uh, you know, uh, very interesting to say the least. But uh, really, it's one of the things that uh, you see in the world today is that uh, people are ignoring the statistics uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to marriage, where you see uh, the uh, uh, divorce rates in the world, especially in the Western world and Europe as well. Uh, are at all-time highs. Uh, no matter what anybody tells you, uh, on the news today, there's always going to be some famous celebrity uh, that's getting divorced 
or some uh, rich person that's getting divorced and it's ugly and there's uh, adultery and there's this and there's that. And it seems like the divorce rates are getting worse and worse, but it doesn't really make much sense of how people are reacting to it. In fact, uh, people are still looking for the same thing. He's still looking for that beautiful girl. She's still looking for that rich guy. Uh, but yet, when you look at the world of rich and beautiful, you see that the statistics of divorce there are much worse than everywhere else. In fact, uh, a research that came out uh, just a few years ago by an organization, a research organization called Marriage Foundation, found it that the uh, uh, celebrity couples are 67%, 67% more likely to get a divorce than other people that are not celebrities, that are not uh, uh, famous. Well, while the divorce rates themselves are at all-time highs anyway, to have even an increased 67% more likelihood of getting divorced, it's really baffling that people in the world are still getting married, especially the celebrities. Now, if you would say, yeah, they got uh, divorced because uh, of money issues, well, how does that explain the celebrities? Oh, they got divorced because uh, she wasn't, uh, you know, attractive anymore. Well, how do you explain the celebrities? Oh, they got a uh, uh, divorce because of uh, difference of opinion. Well, how do you explain mankind since the beginning? Meaning the reality is that nothing has changed, but everything has changed at the same time. If you look at uh, the past, marriages used to last a lifetime. It actually meant something. Whereas today, marriage is literally uh, less than a platonic relationship that some people have. Uh, not that that's recommended to have platonic relationships with the opposite sex, but the point being is, is that people change friends over their lives and, uh, you know, there's uh, really not that much anguish over it because it's just part of life. But there is a lot of anguish over the changed relationships, yet people continue to do the same exact things that led their peers and their, I, you know, their, 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 their uh, role models uh, to get divorced. So this is one of the things we really want to address tonight because that's what the Ramban is actually trying to tell us. What is the price that one must pay to find that beautiful wife? What is the price that one must pay to find that rich husband? And of course, these are superficial stereotypes because as the Gemara itself will tell us, there are many times where the man is not looking for a beautiful wife but rather a beautiful bank account that some woman has even if she's not exactly so beautiful and uh, this will address that and sometimes the woman is not exactly looking for a uh, you know a uh, rich husband she's looking for an attractive husband husband that has an eight pack and a ten pack and all types of muscles coming out of his face uh, and and different body parts because she saw him on TV and she saw him in the movies or she sees him as a potential to do this this and that so the mentality is is a uh, unfortunately uh, uh, changed in a sense where many times women have become more masculine uh, and many times men have become more feminine but nothing new under the sun this has always existed it's just that today there's a lot more visual of what exists because everyone that's walking around is a cameraman and needless to say, everyone that has a mouth is a journalist. Uh, 
So we have to look at what our holy Torah tells us. What is the price people pay to find this beautiful wife, to find this rich husband, or, you know, and, and really, what's on the line? What's on the line? Are we suggesting that only ugly people get married? Only poor people get married? Of course not. There are plenty of beautiful people that are righteous and very, uh, very plenty of, uh, uh, of poor people that are miserable and lonely. Uh, you know, and uh, so, so the key is to understand what's going on in the world and what could be going on in our lives. So the Ramban in the last lecture gave us a insight about the importance of what you're thinking about during the time of intimacy. It's important to prepare already ahead of time, meaning to clean your mind and purify it of anything inappropriate uh, from pre, you know throughout your entire day and your entire life. The more pure the mind is, the more prepared it's going to be for a holy, uh, intimate act. Whereas the more filthy that mind is, the more it looks at inappropriate things, the more it's going to look at inappropriate things and have... Uh, unfortunately, disastrous results, as the uh, story in the Midrash uh, brings that uh, one of the uh, famous kings from a couple of hundred years ago that was a uh, African-American uh, wanted to kill his African-American wife, the princess, so the queen, because she gave birth to a white baby. And of course, he thought that she cheated on him. But when he went to Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva told him, no, she didn't cheat on you. She actually simply desired the different things you have in the room while you were intimate, which is you have different white statues, white sculptures. And these are the things she looked at during the act. And this is, in essence, what painted the picture on what was created in her. Now, needless to say, if a man is with his wife and he is thinking about some filthy you know uh, promiscuous person uh, that he saw during that day or during that week on some website or some office or his secretary then these results are not known to his wife but they will be known to her once that baby comes up and starts growing up and starts developing all types of foreign character traits that are not similar to her and not similar to him in fact, sometimes even develop physical traits that are not similar to either one of them. You know, many times people are baffled that their kids look nothing like them. Oh yeah, this one looks like me. That one looks like her. That one, I don't know, maybe the mailman, maybe uh, the UPS guy, perhaps even the guy at the, uh, you know, at the supermarket. But he doesn't look like either one of us. He doesn't act like one of us. These are, in essence, HaKadosh Baruch Hu giving people an indication, not necessarily of adultery of, of the act itself, but adultery of the mind. But now, we're going to go take a step further. And the Ramban is about to teach us a couple of extraordinary principles from the Torah and its sages about finding a wife, about finding a husband. If you are in the world of Shiduchim, you're looking for a wife, don't look until you've studied this lecture thoroughly. If you are in the world of looking for a husband, don't look until you've studied this lecture thoroughly and took a step back 
and looked in the mirror. Not the mirror that you have in your room, but the mirror, the spiritual mirror, looking at yourself, some introspection, to see where you fit with your desires of what you're looking for. And then determine whether what you're looking for is really what you still want. So the Ramban says as follows, I must make you aware of the great principle of the Torah and what our sages of blessed memory said regarding the verse that David Melech wrote in Psalm 68 verse 7 which says whoever marries uh, uh, who says God places the special ones in our house and the sages in the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin said whoever marries a woman for her beauty alone a month comes and goes and the sword devours him as it said they betrayed the Lord for they had begotten strange children now shall the new moon devour them with their portions that's what Hosea the prophet said in chapter 5 verse 7 and the great secret behind this is that since he married a woman for her beauty the union is not for the sake of heaven but rather his thoughts on her physical appearance and he is not pondering high pure thoughts we're going to continue beyond that but this is the first segment i don't want to lose you guys to understand really what's at stake here the ramban is telling us that there is this hidden principle not hidden from the sages not hidden from the scholars not hidden from people that are in the world of torah but hidden from everyone else about marriage about who to marry this secret is inside the verse in psalms where david melech on one end tells us the pshat which is talking about how hashem loves am israel but furthermore he tells us about the suffering that he had because of certain choices that he made that weren't in line with what a who wanted him to make and if this was not written in a Torah, we would not even be allowed to say such a thing. And David Melech says that whoever marries, uh, that, uh, that God places the special ones in our house. What does it mean, God places the special ones in a house? David Melech first says that Akadosh Bochu fathers the orphans and the defender of the widows meaning that although HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in you know soars over the loftiest heights he still remains intimately involved in the affairs of the weakest and the least prominent people in so many words disputing the heretical ideology of philosophers whether they are of the uh, Greeks and Romans of a couple of thousand years ago or the philosophers of today that think that Hashem is too great to be involved in the most minute details of our lives 
regardless of who R is describing, whether R is you as an individual, your family, your community, your uh, nation, your uh, tribe, wherever you are, Jew, Gentile, male, female, doesn't make a difference. HaKadosh Baruch Hu monitors everything and he's involved in everything. Whether you are a lowly person or you are an extraordinary person, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is involved in your life. And furthermore, where is he involved? He's specifically involved in matchmaking as it says god is settles the solitary into a family meaning he makes homes he matches people where even when am israel was in egypt slaves torture still akadosh bohu miraculously grew the people where each woman that gave birth gave birth to six babies at a time as we learned from Sefer Shmot the book of Exodus of how he gives six different adjectives to the size of Am Yisrael in the beginning of the parasha six different adjectives symbolic of six different babies for each birth meaning that every family despite the torture the agony still grew in fact, the Gemara in Masechet Sota, in the beginning of the Masechet, page 2a, interprets this particular verse referencing the divine art of, art of matchmaking. For it is a superhuman task to fuse Yechidim, individuals, into one harmonious unit. The Gemara says that Akadosh Baruch Hu will give you a shiduch, give you a wife, give you a husband based on where you stand spiritually. If a man is righteous, Hashem will match him with a modest woman. If a man is wicked, Hashem will match him with a immodest woman. Why modest woman with a righteous man and immodest with a wicked man rather than modest? with modest wicked uh, wicked with wicked why what's the the difference Rashi over there interprets it and explains that if she if he is righteous he deserves a righteous woman and if she is modest then certainly she is much more likely to be righteous on the other hand if he is wicked he doesn't deserve a righteous woman nor does a righteous woman deserve a wicked man and therefore Hashem gives the wicked man an immodest woman because if she is immodest then certainly she is wicked now wicked doesn't necessarily mean they murder people in the middle of the street they rob banks and uh, they uh, they do all types of things that uh, are uh, a uh, tragedy to society that's gonna be on the Channel 5 news no Wicked is based on the definitions of the rules of the Torah, the rules of the God that created it. And immodesty is a wicked act because you're creating the uh, jealousy, you're creating immorality, you're creating all types of inappropriate thoughts to anyone that's looking at you. And of course, this creates a lot of marriage problems. Hence the reason why Hashem that judges the world with measure for measure 
where you'll see that women that are immodest will always have, always, without an exception, will always have marriage problems. Either they cannot find a husband or they cannot keep a husband because everyone keeps divorcing them or they have a husband but not one that they're happy with because there's constant animosity between them. Why? You're an immodest woman. You caused other men that are married to different women to think about you. You caused problems in other marriages. You caused problems in other marriages. The measure for measure judgment for that is to create problems in your marriage. So first we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is involved, very involved, in the most extraordinary decisions of our lives, who we're going to marry. But of course, a person has free choice. How does this free choice work if Hashem is involved? Simple. If a person is wicked, Hashem will give him choices that he wants. If he's wicked, he's going to desire a wicked woman. If he's righteous, he's going to desire a righteous woman. So Hashem is going to give him those choices and he's not going to give him a choice of a righteous woman if he's wicked. Why? Because that would be a punishment for her. And she doesn't deserve a punishment for being righteous. She deserves a reward. So the Chachamim say that sometimes a person may do many things right. He's a kosher Jew in a sense that he observes Shabbat, he eats kosher food only, he has a kosher business, he doesn't steal from people, he doesn't charge interest and, and, and causes people all types of animosity between them and their loved ones because of how much agony this interest has caused their financial world he doesn't badmouth people overall he's a kosher person but he has one flaw what's his flaw he likes pretty girls but of course everyone likes beautiful people but he has decided that he's not going to marry anyone that's not from his measuring stick, his mental measuring stick, is not at least an eight, a nine, a ten. Why? She has to be beautiful. He finds himself worthy of such a beautiful woman. And he says, I'm not going to marry anyone that's not perfect. If I am a Moroccan, I want a beautiful Moroccan girl. If I am Syrian, I want a beautiful Syrian girl. If I'm Persian, I want a beautiful Persian girl. You bring the Persian guy, an Ashkenazi girl, that all of the normal people in the world find attractive. He says, no, no, she's, she's, she's a nice girl, but she's too uh, Ashkenazi for me. She's a woman. She's a human being. She's Jewish. She keeps talking to me. Yeah, but she's, she's a little Ashkenazi for me. Ah, so, so you, want, you want to marry you? So why don't you just marry yourself? No, but don't you have this, that, the other thing? If I had this, that, and the other thing, I'd give you this, that, and the other thing. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent you this. 
and you've decided you don't want this why because of the exterior because of the skin complexion is that right or wrong on the face of it it sounds wrong but of course we know that there has to be some level of attraction in order for a couple to get married to each other they have to have two common denominators one they have to be attracted to each other to a certain extent of course can't cross the line because that would obviously create many sins but they have to have some type of of chemistry and the second thing is is that they have to have similar ideology meaning that if you want five kids and a house in a religious community and to work a decent job but have enough time to learn to a few hours a day but she wants to live in beverly hills she doesn't really care for your torah but if you want to learn when you're not home for like a half hour on the way home that's fine for her she wants to spend all the extra time hanging out with you perhaps watching a show together maybe going and uh, whining dining with the local socialites as far as kids perhaps one kid and two dogs that's obviously an ideology that's not going to work if you get married you're also going to get divorced it's only a matter of time why that's just the way the world works she could be the most beautiful person in the world you could be the most beautiful person in the world it's not going to work so the attraction is one thing but ideology also has to come with it if people only marry for attraction they're in essence setting themselves up for failure but how much failure because we see that in the world as much as people hear this they ignore it they're still looking for that arm candy they're still looking for that beautiful woman that fits all of their lustful desires what about the fact that she's righteous she has good ideology and everything else is good yeah yeah but can't you just find the same thing just more beautiful according to my taste a decision that's based on such superficial things is usually the wrong decision but again attraction is important just the question is of how far you're going to take it now some people are simply going to ignore all of the statistics all of what they see in the world because quite frankly they're not thinking about the future like 20 30 years from now they're thinking about now right now he has a desire he has a desire to marry someone to have a fancy schmancy wedding to to feed a bunch of strangers and show off how much money he has he wants to pretend like he is a mr husband pretend like you know everything is great put some pictures on the internet with everyone smiling maybe a year or two later have a little kid in the middle that they're smiling with and pretend like everyone's happy right before they go to get divorced he wants that and he wants it with one condition it has to be a beautiful woman now we know that a kadosh gets involved david melech just told us but david melech is telling us from agony david melech is giving us this message from agony which we'll learn in a little while why he had this agony why he had this pain the gemara says that a man that marries a woman for her beauty alone a month comes and goes and the sword devours him 
this doesn't sound so good. So we have to look at the Gemara. We have to see what else the Gemara says. The Gemara in Maseret Kiddushin, page 70a, starts off as follows. Rabbi Barbarchana, one of the sages, said, whoever marries a woman that is not fit for him, either because he's not allowed to marry her for reasons like he's a Kohen and she's a divorcee. A Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorcee. Kohen is not allowed to marry a convert. Or other reasons of why she's forbidden to him. Let's say she, he's not a Kohen and she is a divorcee, but she doesn't have a get. But she figures, who cares about the get? I love you, you love me, let's just get married. Meaning, not allowed to get married, but he decides to fool everyone. He decides to fool the rabbis, not tell the rabbis that she doesn't have a get. And there are many, many other reasons of why a woman would be forbidden to a certain man. But he decides to fool everyone. Fool the rabbis, fool himself, fool the families, and get married. Whoever marries this woman that's not fit to him, the Torah says regarding him, it's as if he has plowed an entire world and sowed it with salt as the Torah says, the following went up from ten melach to ten kharsha. This is a pasuk where in so many words, once a man marries a woman that's not, that he's forbidden for marrying, it's as if he has looked at everything around the world, all of the possible choices that Hashem wanted to give him. He ruined all of the choices and he picked the worst choice. Further, Rabbi Barbachana says, in the name of Rav, whoever marries a woman for the sake of her money will have children who are unworthy. As the prophet Oshea says, the same thing that the Ramban brings, they have dealt treacherously with Hashem for they have begun strange children. Now the enemy will devour them in the month along with their portions. See here, Rabbi Barbachana is giving a warning. And of course, this is relating to women as well. Women that marry men for money. There's a promise from a Torah. You marry a girl only because of her money, you're not going to enjoy that money. In fact, you're going to have a lot of suffering. What suffering? The suffering that doesn't stop during your lifetime and even after. One of the worst levels of suffering that a person has, can have, is suffering from children, bad children. Anyone that's a parent knows exactly what I'm talking about, either because they have one or they know people that have them. Kids that grow up calling their parents by their first names 
disrespecting them, stealing from them, destroying the house, doing all types of drugs and, 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 and all types of promiscuity, acting like animals in the open without a care in the world. Bad children cause parents endless suffering. Endless suffering. Why? Because even if the kid leaves the house eventually, while initially the parents say good riddance, that doesn't, this, that doesn't eliminate all those years they suffered with him and it's not going to eliminate all the years they'll continue suffering from him because he's going to cause damage somewhere else but that's always going to come back home they're going to be the ones that get called from the police they're going to be the ones that call that get called from all types of debt collectors they're going to be the ones that get calls from all the people that want to kill him they're going to be the ones that get called from all types of women that he impregnated and ran away from they're going to be the ones that get called from all types of people that saw her get high in the middle of the street and who knows what else she did the parents always get these horrible calls and the calls always come at the worst times two three four o'clock in the morning the suffering from bad kids is literally genom in this world. In fact, the Gemara says, bad kids are worse suffering than the war of Gogu Magog. As we learned from David Melech and his son Avshalom that tried to kill him. And David Melech compares the suffering he has from Avshalom, his son, to the suffering people have at Gogu Magog. He says he has more suffering. And from there we learn that bad kids literally cause people endless amount of anguish. And the Gemara says here, a promise that whoever marries a woman for the sake of her money will have bad children. Meaning, he's thinking, listen, I'm not really supposed to marry this girl because she's not allowed to me or I don't really want to marry this girl. Or this woman because she's twice my age because she's disgusting in my eyes because uh, of all of other types of other reasons but at least i can enjoy the money the gemara says this person is gonna have kids they're gonna make all the joy that he thinks he's gonna get from the money literally disappear and in fact even more the gemara says that they will both lose as a result of it. Where the Gemara says that perhaps you think that the money will escape the destruction, that he has bad kids from her, fine, but at least he gets to enjoy the money. But that's why the verse says, now the enemy will devour them in the month along with their portions, meaning that he's going to lose the money too. Perhaps you'll say, yeah, maybe he's going to get punished for marrying her only for her money. Or she's going to get punished only marrying him for his money. Because it works both ways. They're not marrying because they want to build a beautiful holy family. They're not marrying because they actually want to do something good. No, they're marrying because they want a bank account. That doesn't end. Moaz says... You're not going to enjoy that money. Why? The verse in the Torah, the prophet says, the money will be lost. For that, you married him for the money, you're not going to benefit from that money. So you're going to say, okay, so maybe I'm not going to benefit from it because I made a mistake by marrying her for the money, 
but I'm still going to have the benefits of her having money. I mean, I did something bad, so I won't, I won't enjoy the money that I got from, as a gift for the wedding. You know, she gave me a uh, $500,000 watch and a million-dollar car and a, uh, an island. So perhaps I make some mistakes and lose that, but she's still going to have the money, right? So I can still benefit some, you know, from that. No, says the Gemara. Our portion also. The verse says, their portions, meaning both the husband and the wife, will suffer destruction. And then you say, okay, so probably you're right, but it won't happen right away. Probably, I don't know, I'll probably be able to enjoy it for 20, 30 years. Tomas says, no, that's why the verse says, in a month, meaning it's going to happen in the near term. And Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak expands on it and says the verse means the month has to come in and the month has to gone out meaning that their money is going to be lost within a short period of time. And further Rabbi Bar says and some say it was uh, one of the other sages, Rav Salah, who said it in the name of Rav Amnuna, that whoever marries a woman that is not fit for him, meaning he's not uh, allowed to marry her for different reasons, could be she's not even Jewish, or he's not Jewish and she is Jewish, into marriage, or it could be a number of other reasons why they're not allowed to marry each other, but he still does it. What we discussed so far, it's just the beginning. The Gemara says, Eliyahu Navi ties him to a whipping post, and then the Holy One blessed as he will whip him. Meaning, after they die, they finish their world. They finish their time. Nobody lives forever. However long they're going to live. Eventually, they go up to Shemaim. As soon as they go up to Shemaim, before we look at all of the other sins and all of the other things that they did, They'll have a post. The time to a post, Eliyahu Navi ties him up, and then Akadosh Bahu himself starts hitting him. Why? You married a woman you're not allowed to marry. Meaning they have a special type of punishment. One of the other Tanaim says, Eliyahu Navi and Akadosh Bahu signed the following statement woe to him who disqualifies his children and who taints his family and who marries a woman who is not fit for him eliyahu anavi ties him and the holy one blessed as he whips him on the other hand for the good news says the opposite where it says that whoever marries a woman that is suited for him meaning the right woman for him Eliyahu Navi kisses him and HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves him. And this again, as when I learned this initially with Rabbi Ephraim, it works both ways. She marries him because of his stature, because of his success, not because she wants to build a holy Jewish family with him or because she wants to make sure that he learns Torah and they build a Torah home, not because of anything that's real. 
but rather something superficial not only will she not enjoy the wealth or the notoriety it'll actually bring her much more agony than pleasure as you see from the world of hollywood of all of these different people that marry into these this world they suffer a lot more than they enjoy they enjoy for the few pictures people put put them on a magazine the rest of their life they suffer even more so the kids the kids literally are like a living curse what kind of kids they have when people marry for money the tragedy is worse through the kids why the kids are problems and that thing doesn't go away money okay comes goes you figure a way to live with or without it but when you have a bad kid so and if that's not enough Eliyahu teaches that whoever does this doesn't listen to the wisdom of the Torah will end up suffering even more for it after they get up to Shemaim now the Ramban brings another part of this teaching and it's actually even worse why he says here the Gemara was talking about a man that marries a woman for money or a woman that marries a man because of money she's not willing to marry anybody that makes less than six figures she's not willing to make anybody that's not driving a hundred thousand dollar car she's not willing to marry anybody that has a profession that's not approved according to her understanding she wants to marry into an established family established in Torah not so much established in uh, bank accounts established in uh, portfolios she's marrying into a curse without even realizing it when you make your decisions based on money you're making your decisions in so many words to punish yourself and the punishment doesn't end in this world it just begins here and it's apparent one after another you see people that made these decisions literally one tragedy after another the Ramban says it's even worse if somebody married because of beauty why he says that whoever marries a woman for her beauty alone a month comes and a month goes and the sword devours him meaning that not only is it similar to what we said about the one that marries for money but also there's also going to be a uh, early death apparently as it says and he's using the same verse in Oshea they betrayed the Lord for they have begotten strange children now shall the new moon devour them with their portions meaning Akadosh Baruch Hu considers you that married that arm candy you that married that beautiful man because of their beauty and beauty alone he considers you a, a traitor you betrayed him and the kids that come out of that are strange children what's strange children we'll learn in a moment what's strange children but it's not a good thing when a kadosh who loves children 
It says in our tefillah, Al tigu This is referring to the kids. He calls the kids Mashiach. He calls the kids prophets. The Gemara says that after the destruction of the Bet Mikdash, prophecy was taken away from the world, but was given to crazy people and children. And sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells little kids the future. As we've seen, many examples of different kids that have visions and dreams of different things that are happening in the future, and many times these things happened. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves kids. Of course, there's no kid, really, because we're all kids, but I'm talking about when you have the option of bringing a pure neshama into the world or a rotten neshama of some criminal that's just being reincarnated, certainly a Kadosh prefers to bring the righteous one to do more good, to help do more good. But people that marry for money are not going to have those kids. People that marry for beauty are not going to have those kids. In fact, they'll have the opposite. They'll have the criminals. Why? Because the Kadosh Baruch Hu says, since he married her for beauty, the union is not for the sake of heaven, but rather his thoughts on her physical appearance. And he's not pondering high pure thoughts, says the Ramban. He says that since he already decided he wanted to marry her, before she even said two words, they set up a shiduch. He comes from such and such family. She comes from a different family. Okay, you're going to go meet at some cafe. Fine. He walks to the cafe. As soon as he sees her, he's so enamored by her beauty. He's like, yeah, I do. I do. We're ready to get married. Yeah, but she didn't say anything yet. How do you know she's the right one? Maybe she eats non-kosher food. Maybe she doesn't want to keep talat mishpacha. Maybe she doesn't want to have kids. Maybe she wants to have dogs instead. Maybe she's a heretic. How do you know? Why? Because she's beautiful. That's it. You decide you want to get married? That's not a good idea. Why? Because you're marrying just a body. You're not marrying a person. And therefore, when this person that only cares about the physicality is intimate with his wife, or the opposite, she's with her husband and only because of the beauty, it's not for the sake of heaven. That intimate act, that union, is not for the sake of heaven, but rather as a result of their thoughts, of the other person's physical appearance, and anything that they have on their mind is not pure, but rather impure thoughts, because they're just thinking like an animal. Same thing as one horse, a male horse sees a female horse. He's not thinking about, does this female horse uh, believe in God? Does she pray every day? Does she eat kosher uh, grass, straw? But that's something? No. He doesn't think that. Why? He's a horse. All he wants is someone that he could be an animal with. That's perfectly fine for a horse. Perfectly fine for a dog too. It's not fine at all for a human. 
needless to say for a Jew to choose a spouse purely based on their looks and thus says Rabban the son who is born from that union is born from that thought why because as we learned in the previous lecture the thought that's on their minds is what paints the picture on the things that come out of their body the seed has the image of what he's thinking about her body will produce what she's thinking about if she's thinking about all types of promiscuous people that she sees on tv in hollywood guys walking around without their shirts as if there's no more shirts in the world girls that are also walking around as if there's no clothes in the world that's what he's thinking about that's what's gonna be painted on that seed that's what's gonna be painted in that body not just the visual aspect of it physicality but also everything that goes along with it that promiscuous person that you saw doing some concert that promiscuous person that you saw doing some movie their horrible arrogance promiscuity their 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 terrible behavior that comes along with it it's a package deal it's a package deal and unfortunately what people don't realize is that all of those people that created those visuals whether it's people that are in the pornography industry or people that are in the world of Hollywood or people that are in the world of all types of media where they're producing all types of immodest inappropriate and completely disgusting pictures and movies they're all partners to this crime of bringing these wicked souls to the world and they're also going to get punished as well and if they're Jewish and they're working for these pornography companies or they're the owners of it or they're they're the owners of the movies or whatever they'll get punished even worse than the non-jews that's what people say oh yeah you're saying only always talk about how it's not good to look at all of these things pornography but don't you realize the pornography many of the people behind it are jews yeah what do you think it was born yesterday we spoke about it many times and guess what they'll get punished more than the gentiles for it because there's more expected of a Jew than there is of a non-Jew there's more of an obligation for the Jew than the non-Jew there's also more of a reward for a Jew that's righteous than for a non-Jew that's righteous because there's more responsibility point being is don't be upset at who's making the media regardless of whether it's Jew and Gentile they're partners to the crime HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will pay every one of them their punishment and whatever you think eternity is it's longer and those people that have these visuals in their mind and now during their lifestyle they're looking only for beautiful people because they want what they saw on tv they want what they saw on the computer he wants to marry that movie star 
He wants to marry someone that looks like that movie star. She wants to marry that movie star. She wants to marry that rock star. Guess what? All of that, everybody's a partner to the crime. Everyone's going to get punished. But the worst are the people that are bringing the kids. Why? Because they are not only going to get punished for what they've done. They'll be punished even during their lifetime for what they produce. Those kids that come out of them are literally a form of punishment because of how much they're going to suffer from those kids. Because when she's thinking about other men while being with her husband, when he's thinking about other women while he's with his wife, that creates all types of impure uh, uh, creations within them. In essence, the, the product that comes out of it is a product of impurity. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself says to the prophet, the son who is born from that thought is a strange and foreign child. And of him it said, they have begotten strange children. And the blessed holy name, meaning HaKadosh Baruch Hu, has no part in him. Because they are betraying God by causing the Shekhinah to leave from their home, from their marriage. And the Shekhinah leaves them and left them. Because as we learned in the Mishnah, when there is a holy matrimony between a man and his wife, a Kadosh Baruch comes down and is in essence a partner with them. And we know from the way that the word ish is spelled is aleph yud shin the word isha female the, uh, the wife is spelled is aleph shin hey in there in these two words there's the name of god the yud in the name of uh, uh, of the of the husband that letter yud and the hey in the wife when they're together in this holiness hashem is inside their names he's in essence together with them he's a partner to the holiness but when they betray him by only thinking like beasts those yud and hey those parts of the shekhinah leave and all that's left with the man is aleph shin all that's left with the woman, with the wife, is Aleph Shin. Both spell the same word. Esh. Esh means fire. When God leaves your marriage, all you have is fire. Fire is not good. Not in the marriage. If you need fire to burn a bunch of sand and turn it into glass, you need a few thousand degrees, a really, really big oven that's the size of a few buildings, you're going to make some glass. If you need fire to melt some gold and other precious metals, make sure it's high temperature, fire is good. But if there's fire in your home, that's not good. Needless to say, if there's fire in your marriage, because that means you betray each other, you hate each other. You lie to each other. You cheat on each other. You fight with each other. 
there's only bad. Fire in a marriage is not good. Now, when is there fire in a marriage? When God is not there. God leaves. Ishchina leaves. Because he wants no part of whatever these two people create. Because they betrayed him. Now, this is not to say that you're supposed to marry people that are ugly or that you're unattracted to. Because we see from multiple places in the Gemara, in the Torah, that certainly the beauty is something that Hashem creates and is perfectly permissible to benefit from it. But if you make your life purely on about beauty, purely about materialism, physicality, then it's a problem. The Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit brings a story about one of the sages named Abba Chilkia. Abba Chilkia was Kodesh Kodeshim. When there was a drought, no rain, the people would come to him and tell him, Abba Chilkia, there's no rain. You are like a servant in Hashem's palace. Go talk to him and tell him to bring us rain. Abba Chilkia would go on his roof, pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and rain would come. The whole country could be praying, nothing happens. Abba Chilkia prays, rain comes. One time there was a drought. And everyone knew the protocol. You go to Abba Chilkia. The Gdolador, they come to him. He's not home. They go to the fields to go find him, and he's working. After he finishes work, he walks towards the house, and they come along with him. As soon as they're getting close to the house, all of a sudden they see the door open to the house, and a beautiful woman comes out. Beautiful, modest, Rabbanit, the wife of Abba but she is wearing a glamorous dress, modest, but glamorous and beautiful. And it's just a regular day though. It's not, they're not going to a wedding. They're not going, they're not having any simcha. There's no, nothing going on. It's just a regular average day of the week. It's not Shabbat. It's not Yom Tov. It's an average Monday, Monday evening. Abba Chilke is coming back from work. And the beautiful Rabbanit comes out of the house, all glamorous, to welcome the Rav home. My dear Rav, my dear husband, come, my love, come. Now, the people, the Tamidim, the Witrav Al-Hilkia, they don't say anything, but they're not sure what's going on here. Why is the Rabbanit coming outside? And why is she so dressed up? So when they have a moment, they ask, Rabbeinu Lamdenu, Rabbi, teach us. Why did the Rabbi's wife, the Rabbanit, the Holy Rabbanit, and the Gemara says that when she prayed, it was even more powerful than Abba Chilkia. That's how righteous she was. But why did the Rabbanit come out of the house to welcome you to come from work? Regular day. 
And even more so, why is he so dressed up? Abba says, because she's making sure I don't look at other women. Meaning, she's ensuring that I constantly remember her beauty. From there, we learn many things. Modesty doesn't mean ugly. In fact, it's the opposite. Modesty is beautiful. But sometimes people think, oh no, it's beautiful on a spiritual end. So if she's modest, it's beautiful in Hashem's eyes. And if her husband is righteous, then it's beautiful in his eyes. But in reality, she looks like she just came out of some garbage pail. Like she bought our store, our clothes and some clothes out. No. Beautiful can be beautiful. And modest. Now, she made sure that the Gdoledo, the most righteous person, the great sage of the generation, remembers her beauty. So we see from there that beautiful is not a bad thing. In fact, the Gemara confirms that you know that she was a very righteous woman, so much so that when time came to pray in one particular situation, where there was a drought, both Abba Chilkia and his wife went on the roof and prayed to Hashem. And it was clear that Hashem answered her prayers first. That's how righteous she was. So, we see that beautiful is perfectly fine. No one is saying, go find some deformed person and marry them. No. But when a person marries somebody solely because of their ta'avat, solely because of their desire, their lust for physicality, and that's it, you're only marrying her because she's beautiful, you're only marrying him because he's beautiful, you're only marrying him because of money, you're only marrying her because of money, there you have beauty turned ugly. Wealth turned into poverty because what happens as a result of this is big problems starting with the kids and marrying an inappropriate woman is literally a person inflicting a daily death penalty to himself because of how much he's going to suffer as a result of it now money and beauty as i just said are certainly valuable you have to be attracted to your spouse you have to have the ability to make ends meet if you can find someone that you're attracted to both spiritually as well as physically fantastic that's great if you found somebody that you want to get married to and they happen to be wealthy fantastic that's great but if you're only marrying them because of their wealth or their looks you don't realize what kind of damage you're making because you're turning those good things into something worthless and in fact into something damaging now as i said before if you look at the world of celebrities 
And usually some of the best examples that shed light on such topics are the most extreme. The Marriage Foundation's research, as I said, came up with a divorce rate among celebrity couples being 67% higher than other couples during the early years of marriage. One of the research directors, Harry Benson, says that we look up the celebrities because they have achieved fame and success and we love their glamorous weddings because it's love and it's forever and it's a dream. But the harsh truth is that their marriage, most celebrities are not good role models. In fact, he continues and says that one of the lessons from this report is that if you're looking for a celebrity couple to follow, it's going to be hard to find because you're going to see marriages like Britney Spears marrying some guy named Jason Alexander for 55 hours. A Katy Perry marrying for two years to Russell Brand. In all types of short-term marriages, rarely do you see marriages that last for 15 and 20 years or, or a lifetime. And even the ones that last 20, 25 years, that's not necessarily success. Because if they got divorced after 20, 25 years, then obviously the failure began before the end. Because it's just there's marriage and there's happy marriage. If you see people that marry in the world of celebrities, generally speaking, these people are viewed as the most beautiful people. So he married her because she's beautiful, not because she had a beautiful soul or because he wanted to do anything holy with her, because she is beautiful. Now, aside from the fact that they get divorced, when you see what comes out, you'll see even more tragedy. In fact, some of the biggest tragedies are when there's intermarriage. The Gentiles don't realize how much damage they're doing to themselves as well as to their so-called loved one when they're marrying Jews. When that uh, anti-Semite Kanye West married the uh, whatever his uh, ex-wife's name is, Kardashian, Kardashian, Kameshian, whatever her name is, what he didn't realize is that he's doing something that's forbidden to her as well as to him. Because according to some sources, they said that she's Jewish. Obviously, she practices Christianity and she's a, uh, as, as a betrayed the Jewish people. But needless to say, he did something that's forbidden for both of them. Now, who suffered more than him? From the minute they got married, look at how tragic his life has turned into. He's completely gone crazy. They're obviously divorced. He lost a fortune. And he's a laughingstock. Meaning that part of his punishment is already in this world. 
Now, when people say, no, but, but he's rich. Trust me when I tell you. If you tell, if you ask him, if we just simply eliminate the rich part and give you a decent life, would you take it? In two seconds, they'll take it. All of them will take it. But they don't even know what a decent life looks like. All of the intermarriages end up in some type of tragedy or another. Divorce is just one of them. Especially when it comes to the world of Hollywood. But in general, even if it's not Hollywood, intermarriage is a cursed marriage. Now, in the time of pre-Holocaust, intermarriage became a standard. In Europe, especially in Germany, in the 1800s, nearly 100 years before the Holocaust, uneducated Jews decided to go towards Christianity because it was more acceptable. It was more European. It was more elite. And of course, while some of them didn't actually believe in Christianity, they still went to Christianity and attended church because they wanted the people, they wanted the social acceptance. The tragedy that followed doesn't need to be elaborated, as you already know. Now, if this was it, it would already be enough to make sure that any normal person would start looking at other things aside from just physical or financial attributes in the person they want to marry. And if they already married that person, then certainly they know how much they need to work on themselves in order to fix that marriage, if it's fixable at all. But the Ramban goes further. And he says, And now I come to awaken you to an important principle. Meaning this is principle number two. Atomic bomb number two. Same price. Know that the reason that the Torah section about the Ben Soreu More, the rebellious, terrible son, and the section about the hanged man, which is at the end of that parasha in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verses 10 to 23, ends up with a person getting hung and killed as a punishment. It begins... We're talking about a rebellious son that is called a Ben Soer Moreh. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin has a whole section about this Ben Soer Moreh, how they kill him, why they kill him. He's, you know, it seems like he's underage. What exactly the age is? What did he do? Simply put, he's a glutton for wine and meat. And for that they kill him, which we'll explain in a moment, because there's a lot of people that are gluttons for meat and wine. Does that mean that they're all supposed to be killed? No, but we'll understand in a second. But here the Ramban is telling us, no, that the reason why the Torah section about the rebellious son and the section about the hanged man are positioned near the verses of the beautiful captive woman. Meaning, on one side, in the beginning... You have the rebellious son. At the end, death penalty. 
in the middle the beautiful captive woman which is the woman that is if there's a war between a Jewish people and a foreign people after the Jewish people win the war they beat all the men there are obviously women and children left some of these women are single women some of them are beautiful and of course the men that are full of hormones and adrenaline are not able to control their desires so Torah says listen if they're in a war and he sees a beautiful foreign woman he has to wait 30 days to let her mourn the death of her family to uglify her meaning shave her head or grow her nails but if he still wants her after that then he's allowed to convert her and marry her but here the Gemara says it's not because Hashem says this is a blessed marriage it's because if I didn't allow this they would simply do it anyway and be sins sinners so this is in essence one of the places that Hashem gave in if you will to the human nature that he is himself created but don't for a second think that's a blessed marriage in fact it's the opposite says the Torah says the Gemara and says the Ramban says in the beginning of this section is talking about a rebellious son at the end is talking about death penalty for this rebellious son and other sinners in the middle is this beautiful captive woman to inform you that from a captured woman for the sake of her beauty for lust a righteous man will not be born since the intention is only for crude lust and therefore came forth from her rebellious sons fitting to be executed by the four deaths of the Bedin. here the Ramban gives us an atomic bomb where he so many words he says yes you have free choice Hashem is not going to choose for you but that choice is not really free there's a price you marry that girl because she's beautiful you're paying for that what's the payment you're gonna say wait a minute but the Torah allows me we went to war she's there yes you're right she's there you're allowed convert all that good stuff but that doesn't mean that Hashem wants you to marry that girl he's only allowing you to marry that girl in that war because he knows that you're gonna do it anyway because you are just looking at physicality but know that that marriage is gonna bring bad kids it's gonna bring the rebellious sons and from there the Ramban says we apply it to people that are not at war you married that girl after you saw her at some nightclub she was your secretary or your co-worker or your colleague or you met her at some bar or wherever you met her and you decided you want to marry her because she's so beautiful you don't really care about our religious beliefs you don't really care about her understanding of Torah you care less you just think she's beautiful that's enough the kids you'll get from that cannot be righteous yeah but you said this free choice you're right it's free choice you have a free choice to marry whoever you want to marry but that choice has a price so it's not really free it's kind of expensive because since the marriage was based on an animalistic 
behavior, animalistic behavior creates animals. The same concept goes other ways. You married him because he's beautiful. You married him because he has money. That marriage cannot produce righteous kids. Why? You married with animalistic nature. Animalistic nature produces animals. That's what the Ramban is saying over here. Since the intention is only for crude lust, therefore came forth her rebellious sons fitting to be executed by the four deaths of the Bedin. Meaning that these sons, it's not that they're going to be stupid or they're not going to be able to do math or they're not going to be able to be astronauts. No, no. Perfectly, they could probably be astronauts, they could be mathematicians, they could do a lot of things. Doctors, lawyers, but according to the Torah, they're going to be wicked neshamot, meaning they're going to be some of those self-hating Jews. They're going to be some of these liberal people. They're going to be some of these people that according to the Torah, they're going to make sins that if the Sanhedrin was still around, they would get the death penalty. One of the four different types of death penalty. Whether it's stoning or burning or uh, the sword or it's uh, hanging them, that depends on the sin. But nonetheless, they're going to be wicked kids. Wicked neshamot. They also need a tikkun. They also have the ability to do tshuva. But why would you want to bring a soul that needs to overcome so many obstacles in order to finally become righteous when the same exact act could bring a righteous soul that already is in essence inclined to do the good things and just build upon good things the proof for this is in the Torah says the Ramban to give us another extreme example the Ramban goes to literally the most extreme. When we think of our forefathers, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shlomo, all these extraordinary people, sometimes it's easy to forget that the Torah did not give them any leeway to make mistakes. They were judged more harshly than any of us can be because of how righteous they were. So, when Moshe Rabbeinu hit the stone instead of speaking to it, Hashem punished him and said that he didn't sanctify his name as if he didn't believe in him. Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu believed in Hashem. Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu sanctified Hashem's name a million other times. But that opportunity got judged. David Melech, David Melech Israel. David from Mashiach. Mashiach comes from David Amelech. David Amelech. The fourth pillar of the Merkava. When Shimi ben Gera came and publicly insulted him, David Amelech didn't allow his soldiers to kill him. He says, No, no, no. It's not him that's cursing me. Hashem is allowing him to curse me, meaning I have to fix myself. That's why this is happening. He's doing something bad. Hashem will punish him for it. But I need to work on myself because if I was doing the will of Hashem, Hashem wouldn't allow some guy to curse me, especially 
somebody so well known as Shimi ben Gira was the head of the Sanhedrin. So David Melech at that moment, the Kadosh Baruch decided that he's going to be the fourth pillar of the Merkava, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, David. David is Kodesh Kodeshim. But yet David Melech had some wicked children. He had holy Shlomo HaMelech, but he also had Avshalom. He also had Amnon. Why did this happen? And if this was not written, we wouldn't be allowed to say it. This is mentioned in the Gemara and the Zohar. This is mentioned here by the Ramban. The Ramban says, you should know that the matter of Tamar and Amnon and of Shalom did not happen to King David, peace be upon him, without a cause. For both of them were the children of beautiful women, captive women. And for all of this causes improper thoughts that spout, that sprout due to such a form. And therefore understand the matters you are awakened to this in this chapter regarding the union and thoughts and ponderings. Here, the Ramban tells us the objective truth of the Holy Torah. Unbiased. Even though David Melech was Kodesh Kodeshim, he followed what he understood. And at one time, he misunderstood. They were going to war. David Melech fought many wars. They went to war. They won the war. At the end of the war, there's women and children. There was a beautiful woman there. The Torah says, after a war, there's a beautiful woman. You want to marry her after you go through the process of shaving her head, making sure that she's ugly, so maybe allowing your desire to go away. But if you still want to marry her after that 30 days, you can. David Melech did this twice. And from those women came the wicked kids, came Avshalom, who tried to kill his own father, David, because he wanted to become king. Came Amnon, who raped his own sister. As it says in the Sefer Shmuel, Shmuel Bet, uh, Shmuel 2, chapter 13, Amnon desired his own sister. She was a stepsister, but needless to say, a sister. And he literally was obsessed with her. One day, he pretended to be sick in order to get her to come visit him and give him food. But as soon as she came in, he attacked her and raped her. The Gemara says that she gave him a permanent damage for the rest of his life. He wasn't able to ever do that again, or anything for that matter. As she, in so many words, broke his member. But that still doesn't change the fact that he did something disgusting and awful. And after he did this, he hated her. He hated Tamar. Meaning after he fulfilled his disgusting animalistic desire, it didn't lead him to love her. 
It didn't lead him to continue being infatuated about her. But the opposite. He hated her much more than he was infatuated with her. David the Melech cried to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, saying, Hashem, what did I do that I got these kids? I could do tshuva. All I was doing was following the Torah. Torah says you go to war, there's a beautiful woman, I can marry her after we do the process. Hashem says to David, just because I wrote a permission doesn't mean you take advantage of that permission. Just because there's a party, it doesn't mean you have to go. Just because there's kosher food doesn't mean you have to eat. You should have looked at what's before it and what's after it. Before the captive woman of war, I specifically wrote in the Torah, I told you about the rebellious son to give you the hint that if you marry this captive woman, although beautiful, what's going to come out of her is rebellious sons. But they're not just going to be rebellious against you. They're going to be rebellious against Hashem. Hence the reason why at the end of that section, I also wrote the death penalty for the, for the, for the uh, sinners. These kids are going to be rebellious not only against their parents, they're rebellious against Hashem. Rebellious enough to deserve the one of the four different types of death penalties. The Vida Melech did Shuvai, never never did this again, but the point is it's only after he suffered, suffered from these kids. Which is to teach us that even if somebody is David Melech, even if you're extraordinarily righteous, you learn Torah all day, you learn Torah all night, but you marry somebody because of lust, whatever you bring into the world is going to be rotten fruits. Even if somebody is the most holy woman in the world, the David Melech of women, if you marry somebody because of money, because of lust, whatever comes out of you, it's not going to be good. It could turn good as a result of their actions by doing tshuva, but it won't start that way. Why? It started with impurity. It has to be that. Now, we have to answer a few questions here. After all of this wealth of information, first and foremost, the basic question is, the Ben Soer Umore, this, this rotten kid, this terrible son, he's rotten, he's terrible, and the symbol of it is that he was a glutton of wine and meat. So does that mean that everyone that's a glutton of wine and meat is going to be a sinner? No, there's plenty of people that are that fail in that aspect. They don't know how to keep their mouth shut. They have to eat constantly. They have to drink. They have to do these things. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all rotten. So why is it that the Torah says that this, if it's a wayward kid, he's 12 and a half years old, almost 13, 
They give him a death penalty. They stone him. But if it's a 30-year-old, they don't. If it's a 14-year-old, they don't. Why? Because if he's already rotten at that age, that means that he came from an impure place. That means that his parents, whether one of them or both of them, were thinking about inappropriate things during the time of intimacy, which means that he came from a place of impurity, and therefore, unlike the other person that's drinking wine and eating meat, he could just have this desire for that, but still be able to do good things and develop and build and do good and be good. But this kid, since his root is from impurity, he now has much higher likelihood to do much worse things than just simply be a glutton, such as killing people, raping people, like the sons of David did, like Avshalom, who literally tried to kill his own father, like Amnon, who raped his own sister. Why? They came from a place of impurity. Even though their father was Kodesh Kodeshim, there was a moment of weakness. And that moment cost him. If it cost David a Melech, needless to say, it would cost every single person. If it's not just a moment of weakness, but literally a lifetime of weaknesses, because they're constantly following their desires. Now, the second thing we have to answer is fine we understand we shouldn't marry somebody because of their money because of their looks only but how do we know we need to marry somebody like how do we choose do we have to marry ugly people poor people of course not marriage must have a spiritual foundation Everything else is a plus. Meaning, if you're picking that woman to be your wife because of our holy ideology, where she believes in Hashem, she follows Hashem, she's willing to do everything necessary to serve Hashem, and she also happens to be rich, and she also happens to be a billionaire, perfectly fine. But as long as you made that choice because of that spirituality as well, the other things are a benefit. But the main reason has to be the spiritual aspect of it. If you chose to marry that guy because he has a good ideology, he learns Musar, he learns Gemara, he follows the Alakha, he's not one of these heretics, he's not one of these philosophers that tries to create a new Torah, and he also happens to be a billionaire and he's beautiful. No problem. Enjoy your marriage. You'll produce beautiful babies that won't have money to worry about at least. Why? Because the foundation is holiness. The foundation is the spirituality. 
But if you married him only for the physical parts, monetary parts, you're destined to be cursed. You're destined to be whipped by a Kadosh Baruch Hu himself after Eliyahu and Navi ties you up. So we see from there that there's a difference. Now, how does a person know the next question? How does a person know that really the motivation is the spirituality when he's with somebody beautiful? How does she know that her motivation is really the spirituality and how righteous this guy is if the guy is swimming in money? How does she know? Simple. You have to look at the Torah. The answers to all questions are always inside the Torah. Mishnah, Masechet Avot, chapter 5, Mishnah number 19, says as follows. Any love that it depends on a specific cause, when that cause is gone, the love is gone. But if it does not depend on a specific cause, it will never cease. This is the answer. If you happen to be on a shiduch with a very nice person, but he also happens to be very wealthy, how do you know you really want to marry this guy? Simple. Think about whether you would still want to marry him if tomorrow he told you I lost everything. Now I have to go work at the local supermarket so I can make ends meet. Would you still be with him? Would you still marry him? Or if he can't buy you $500 shoes every week, he's not a husband anymore. He's not a husband material anymore. If... You think about it. And tomorrow he says, Honey, we had a good run at this company. We made a lot of money. But unfortunately, we just discovered that the company is cooking the books. The SEC shut them down. And my six-figure job is gone. And nobody is going to hire me because I was part of this whole shenanigans. So I'm uh, out of a job. I don't have that six-figure job anymore. Most likely, I'll have to uh, settle for uh, $40,000, $50,000 a year. We're probably going to have to get some financial aid to keep our kids in yeshiva. We're probably going to have to uh, ask your parents for a little bit of help to make rent this month. Would you still be with them? Would you still be happily married? We're after work, he calls you, he says, honey, we made some bad investments. 
It was a Ponzi scheme. We lost everything. Now we're just swimming in debt, but no assets. You have to go back to work because his income is gone and it's not enough to work at the local electronics store. Both of you now have to work. Would you still be happily married? If the answer is, oh, I'm not sure, find somebody else. Why? Don't marry somebody that so much is dependent on their wealth. Because life, as the Gemara says, is a circle. People have ups, have downs, and if it's not them, it's their children. If there's so much dependent on the financial stability that you think you have from this person, it's better off you don't get into a relationship with such a person. Why? Because either you're marrying the money or you're worshipping the money. Either way, it's not good. Marrying the money instead of marrying the person we just spent the last hour and a half discussing why it's not good. Worshipping the money is because you think that he's the one that makes the money, not Hashem. If you married a guy because he has a six-figure salary or more, and that's what makes you think you'll have stability, don't be surprised if in Shemaim they have heretic next to your name. Because thinking that he made the money means that you think God didn't give it to him. And thinking that someone that makes less means that God won't give it to him. So while many people want to marry someone that has stability, they don't realize this is literally taking emuna, bitachon, as far away from your name in the Beddin of heaven. Like when they say emuna and bitachon, your name is nowhere to be found. Why? Because you think that he made the money. You think that that company paid him that money. You think that that client gave him that money. You think that because of the money you had stability. You thought wrong. Marrying somebody because of money is a mistake. From beginning to end. And when a person understands what I'm saying, usually they're required to make certain changes in their life. The same concept goes, and even more so, to somebody that's marrying for, for his beauty. He's only willing to marry a Persian girl. He's only willing to marry an Ashkenazi girl. Now, I'm not saying marry somebody that you're disgusted by, but to be that particular, don't be surprised if you end up marrying either a bad woman or you don't get married at all. Like some of these people that I know that are beautiful people, physically. One of them is an established, uh, you know, like a uh, uh, professional in the world, almost like a celebrity. Very established. Tons of money. Even has some fame. Goes to shul. Keep Shabbat. Sometimes even debates the rabbi. Says, Rabbi, I think 
I really enjoy Shabbat when I'm learning more than when I'm eating. And do I have to do this or that? And he's very particular about certain halachot. You know what he's not particular about? His choice in women. Because he's been with a forbidden woman for almost 20 years. And despite the different ways that I tried to help him and other people have helped tried to help him, his addiction to looks, to beauty, to physicality simply will not allow him to change his ways and to do tshuva. Because according to him, he's keeping Shabbat, he learns Torah, he's good. He doesn't realize he has a penthouse in Gainon. Why? He's with a forbidden, forbidden woman. Another guy. Very attractive guy. Loves to put pictures of himself on the internet. Has a bunch of money. Loves to go out. Goes on vacation at least a half a dozen or more times a year. Almost seems like he lives on vacation. Likes to go out, enjoy life. Sounds like fun. But when you get to talk to him, 10 minutes won't pass before he complains to you about his loneliness. Why? He's just turned, I think, 52 or 53 years old. And he's a single guy going to nightclubs. Literally, the worst thing in the world to see, other than celebrities aging because they get really, really ugly, all that beauty turns into extreme ugliness between the surgeries and the punishments. The worst thing to see aside from them is men and women that were picky and just didn't get married. She was beautiful in 25, but she wanted that guy that had the perfect job and the perfect income and the perfect family and the perfect this and the perfect that. And guess what? She's 49 years old. She just got a notice from the doctor that she will never have the ability to have kids. She's hoping that the eggs she froze for $5,000 at a clip each year that she has to pay for, that somehow is going to materialize to a, to a baby instead of a puppy. But a husband? Yeah, maybe in our imagination. Why? Because at this age, at this time, nobody wants her. Especially since she's still picky. She doesn't realize she aged. She doesn't realize she's not 25 years old. She was 25 years old. She had the right to be a little picky. A little. She was a little too much picky. So what happened? Another 25 years have passed. And all she has to show for those extra 25 years aside from more sins is a life of misery, loneliness, and hopes that somehow some miracle is going to happen. And change everything. But it won't. And literally seeing these people is worse than anything else in my eyes. Because 
you're seeing somebody that committed suicide slowly just by making rotten choices that come from ego that come from a, a affluence in arrogance that come from simply thinking that they have all the time in the world and all the choices in the world and before you know it they see their friends get married they see their family get married they see people having kids and they're always that cool uncle or aunt that comes to visit that somehow is still single at 30 years old but she's so fun she's like a kid he's so fun he's like a kid and he plays with the kids and she plays with the kids and they don't realize that yeah they're playing with the kids but inside they're crying that those kids are not theirs and if you tell them listen i have somebody for you why don't you uh meet this girl she uh, works for me she's a nice from girl i have somebody for you why don't you go date on this guy marry this guy he's got a good job makes a decent living he could pay uh two thousand dollars a month in rent no problem no i can't marry somebody like that why not well listen first of all i'm a lawyer i make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year i don't want to marry somebody that makes less than me wait are you marrying him or are you marrying his bank account well listen i want to be uh i want to be uh safe you want to be safe put yourself in a cage i want to be secure put yourself in a safe i want to have uh some assurance that uh that uh, i'll be okay put write a story about yourself and publish it like the reasons why people make these choices when you think about them are always obnoxious and ridiculous but unfortunately they cause so much suffering to those people more than anybody else because they're not going to stay 20 they're not going to stay 25 they're not even going to stay 30 or 35 and more times than not as they age they become even more picky and they become more picky about worse things more animalistic things he's more picky about women today than he was five years ago five years ago he just simply wanted her to be of the same tradition as him today he wants her to be of the same tradition but also to have the perfect nose she was willing to accept somebody from different traditions but he had to have a certain job now that she's 45 she has decided that not only does he have to have the perfect job and a established portfolio maybe some real estate maybe some stocks but he also could never have been married meaning he can't have any kids he can't have any marriage in so many words she's looking for somebody that's just as miserable as she is willing to get married literally you can split the ocean five times in a row before you're going to find something like that and it's for the right reasons why because people that make their decisions based on something 
it won't last. That's what the Mishnah says. Any love that depends on a specific cause, whether it be money or it be looks, position, power, anything, when that cause is gone, the love is gone. You finally figured out that you're going to marry such and such person because they're perfect in your eyes, they're beautiful, just enough to be a 10 in your chart. Well, guess what? If one day she wakes up and her eye doesn't work anymore, she had some type of thing happen in her face where half of her face is paralyzed. It happens to people. You're going to divorce her then? You're going to just leave her just like that? Or are you going to just pretty much give her a deadline to heal? Honey, I'll stay with you. I love you. But if you don't heal in six months, I'm out of here. Psh, you're a good husband. There's special sections in Kafakela for husbands like you. You married him. He's successful enough for you. But one day he says, honey, I lost my job. And to be honest with you, I don't want to go back to work. I want to learn Torah. You make enough money. We'll have to downsize a little bit. We can't continue living in a million dollar house. We'll have to live in a half a million dollar house, $300,000 house, but we can still be okay. You're going to leave him then? You say, no, 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 honey. Either you go back to being a lawyer or a doctor or successful entrepreneur or I'm leaving. You think that makes you a good wife? Again, I'm not saying that these choices are always necessarily the good choices for him to leave work and only learn. What I am saying is that if you married him because of money or looks, if you married her because of money or looks, when those things are gone, and as the Gemara already said, it's only a matter of time before they're gone because that's part of the punishment. You'll see that the five, 10, 20 years you've spent and invested into each other, the whole thing was fake. And there's nothing more painful than that, aside from the kids. Why? Because if you have a marriage that's lifelong, then you know that everything you've invested in this relationship, it counts for something. But if you invested five years into a relationship, you gave yourself, you gave your body, you gave your time, you gave your attention, you, 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 know, you made all types of uh, uh, considerations, you, you really sacrificed. And then it ends. It's very painful. Why? Because all of that was for naught. It was all one big waste of time. That relationship was one big waste of time. And all the pain and agony and sacrifices you made were waste. It's like throwing money into the wind. Throwing effort and time into the wind is even worse. Why? Because it started and it stayed dependent on a cause. But if it doesn't depend on a cause, it will never cease. If the relationship 
is based on your spiritual connection, how you want to build together more closeness to Hashem, more relationship with Hashem, more servitude of Hashem, more kids that will serve Hashem. Everything is connecting you together spiritually. And it happens to come with blessings of good looks, blessings of good panasa and money. That type of love will never end. Even if he loses all of his money, even if he loses all of his looks, even if she loses all of her money, even if she loses all of her looks, why? Because that love is much more than physicality, is much more than money can buy. And that, Rabotai, never ceases. Now, if a person wants to know some signs that it's real love, it's a real reason to connect with somebody, it's a real reason to choose someone to marry. Like I said, the first thing you have to check is, is living without this thing a choice in your mind? Meaning, if he happens to be wealthy, if she happens to be really beautiful, would you still want to be with them if that was no longer available? the money was gone and the looks were gone would you still want to be together would you still want to marry this person right now no then you're making the wrong choice to be married to them in the first place if you haven't married them don't marry them why because you're not marrying them you're marrying the money you're marrying the looks two if a person thinks about this person They want to marry. Do they see themselves not being with them? This is usually a question for people that are already in a relationship, like a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, engaged type of relationship. Or I love you to death type of relationship, just not ready to get married relationship. That type. How do you know you really love each other? Is it possible for you to think of a time where you're not together with each other? Do you see yourself as living as a single man again? Do you see yourself leaving him and being a single woman? If the answer is no, you don't see yourself being alone, you don't see yourself not being with them, you're on a good track. But if you do see yourself being alone, and sometimes even prefer to be alone, what you have is not very healthy. And most likely it's not real love. The same concept goes with a person that's connecting to Hashem. Many people say they love Hashem. Do you see yourself living a life without Following Torah and mitzvot? Do you sometimes even prefer it? If the answer is yes, you're at a very dangerous place. 
Some guy that used to be a rabbi recently wrote online that he sometimes thinks about the shrimp that he used to eat. Now, although he had good intentions with that article, I certainly would have chosen different things to write. The point being is, is that if you're still missing your sins, you're in a spiritually dangerous place without even realizing it because you still haven't gotten to the third level of tshuva, which is regretting the sin. If you still think the sin is good, the sin is delicious, that means you have not done tshuva for it yet. If you still think of going back to the sin, you're in a spiritually dangerous place. When you're living with somebody, and you're thinking that there is a possibility that you may not live with them, tomorrow, next year, five years from now, the future, whatever the future is, because you may want to be with somebody else, your relationship is in danger every single moment. Why? Because it's still on the stage of fake, or at the very least, weak, or a combination thereof. Because if you see that there is a possibility of not being together, that means you're not spiritually connected yet. Your relationship is based on something else. It could be physicality, lust, looks, money, combination. If you see yourself doing something else in life other than your career, that means that your career is simply a job and not really a career. That not, that's not necessarily dangerous. It's just simply good to know. Many people treat their jobs as careers, thinking that they're going to die doing whatever they're doing today. Sometimes a change is necessary. But if you don't see yourself doing anything else, don't want to do anything else, and you're having some difficulties in your business, stop thinking about quitting, because you're not. This is what you do. Just figure out a better way to do it. These types of thoughts are important for a person to know how to determine where they really stand in their life. Now, where do we learn these things, if not the Torah? How do we know that our forefathers followed even this? Simple. Read about them. Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were all married to barren women. Avraham loved his wife. How do we know he loved his wife? We find out that his wife was one of the most beautiful women that ever existed. So much so that the most beautiful woman today looks like a monkey, a chimpanzee with hair on its face next to Sarai Menu. But yet, Avraham Avinu did not even know how beautiful she is until they were married for decades because of how modest she was even during the time of intimacy but yet we know for sure that Avraham Avinu loved her much more than you can possibly imagine and I'm certain even more than what you love your loved one how do we know simple he would not have stayed with her for almost a hundred years without having a kid if he didn't love her 
אברהם אבינו loved צרה אימנו. An eternal love. Because צרה אימנו is true soulmate. A future without her was not possible. Certainly he wanted a child. He even was promised a child by Hashem. And therefore Avram Avinu did not see any other choice being even a remote possibility because he was married to a woman. Whether she has a kid or not, that's Hashem's choice. She's the perfect woman. He loved her soul, not her body. Living without her was not an option. Avram Avinu is still with Sarah Yimenu till this day. As the Gemara says in one of the times that one of the sages came to measure the cave of Ma'achpelah, all of a sudden he sees a huge person. Stop him and say, who are you and why are you here? He says, I'm here to save, to measure the Mirat Ma'achpelah. Who are you? He says, I'm Eliezer, Eved Avram. I'm Eliezer, the servant of Avram. He says, oh, where is Avram? He says, Avram is with Sarah Yimenu now. She's playing with his hair. Can I see Avram? He says, I have to go ask. This is the neshama of Avram Avinu, the stone Marat Machpelah, together with Sarah Imenu. Why? They loved each other. Avram never saw an option of not being with Sarah. Hence the reason why Sarah is the one that brought Hagar into the conversation because she figured. If he, she can't have any kids, so at the very least, she loves him. He says, well, have a kid through her. Showing her love for him. She didn't see a reality where Avram is not going to be in it. The same goes with Yitzchak. Rivka was a barren woman. As the Torah itself says, she couldn't have kids. But yet, the Torah testifies that Yitzchak Avinu loved her. There's literally a verse in the Torah that says he loved her. It wouldn't be written if it didn't exist. It wouldn't be written if it was simply a feeling of the day. Yaakov Avinu loved his wives. Why? Look at how much trouble he went through. And yet he loved them and cried over them. Yet he loved them enough not to tell them for 21 years that he's suffering from their father, Lavan, cheating him. Yet he loved them even though he had to go through agony and pain to marry them. Agony and pain to live together with all of this. Living without them was never an option. He never asked for more. They're the ones that offered more. When Rachel was not able to bring kids to the world, you never once see that Yaakov Avinu doesn't want to be with her anymore. In fact, decades later, after Rachel has already passed away, Yaakov Avinu is still sad as he tells Yosef, his son, that he misses her, that he lost her. 
Usually people forget about somebody as soon as they lose their phone number. They forget about people. If you didn't call them for six months, they forgot about you. We're talking about decades later. Yaakov Avinu still sat over his wife, Rachel. Yaakov Avinu was not willing to think of another option, even though Rachel could not bring a kid. We see that our avot, when you look at the Sefer Bereshit, they literally follow this Mishnah, this Alacha, this Ramban, this Kedusha to the T, as their love was not dependent on a thing. And you say, yeah, but what about religiosity? There was nobody more religious than Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They were fanatics. The more religious and close to Hashem, the more love you could have for your spouse for the right reasons. This Rabotai is a way for us to understand that when the Ramban, as the rest of the sages, writes something, they're not writing it for it to be a suggestion. They're not writing it for it to be a nice idea for you to delve into and consider. They're giving you a blueprint. A blueprint for a good life in this world and the next. And the wise among us will listen to those instructions. Thank you very much for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you to choose the right spouse for the right reasons. And once you have them, even if you didn't choose them for those right reasons, make it right. Today. We'll see each other and learn together again tomorrow. That night, I went down with the highest fever I've ever had in my life. I mean, we're not talking an average fever. We're talking what they call valley fever. And you get these nodules in your lungs where you can't breathe. It almost feels like COVID, really severe COVID. I think that time I actually did get COVID. I was one of the first patients probably. They call patient zero. Or they wanted to tap my spine to check what was going on. Horrible situation. They blew out all my veins in the hospitals because they were putting so much fluids into me. All my veins felt like rubber. Like, felt like I was going to die. I'm laying in the hospital. They put me in ice for hours i was in ice then i got sick again the same way and again horrible like i'm dying you get to a point where you're dying you start questioning things you start growing hashem loves us for his children and i think if he sees there's potential he will make it that you are going to be his servant i'm built like a train and i felt like that i could lift anything i felt unstoppable and hashem showed me otherwise